0: You're listening to audio from Cobblestone Community Church in Oxford, Ohio. At our recent Converge workshop, we had guest speaker Michael Miller come in and teach us about hearing God and how
1: to speak what he says. In this session, session two, we will focus on what to do if we're wrong and do we have to know it's God before we speak. Enjoy.
2: I think we have a lot of misconceptions about how this works. So uh, I'll wait for you guys to get settled. One of my biggest hindrances in, in hearing and growing in God speaking to me, now listen, uh, how many of you, you believe God doesn't speak to you? It's like, he speaks to others, but eh, I don't know about me. Okay, well, that's good. Let me. I'll say it again. How many of you have a hard time believing that God speaks to you? A few of you, a few of you honest ones. Good. Uh, well Here's what we know. Regardless of how we feel, the scriptures say otherwise. We know this. My sheep know my voice. So who's right? What the scripture says, or how you feel about God speaking to you. But but it's actually kind of understandable that you might feel that way. And the reason why is because God doesn't always speak to us in ways that we recognize are Him. And that is a scriptural idea. Let me show you. Go open your Bibles to Job chapter 33. Nobody ever goes to Job. So there's this argument that's taking place throughout the book of Job. You know, Job has been done wrong. He feels like God is the one who's done him wrong. And so he wants his case with God. Like he wants to go to God, to, to take God to court and, and have it out with God and be like, you did me wrong. And so Job's friends are all going, Job, don't be ridiculous. We all know you're a sinner. Just repent. And Job's going, no, I did not sin. And they're like, yes, you did. Because nothing happens to somebody like what's happened to you unless there's grievous sin in their lives. And he's saying, no, 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 I have done nothing wrong. God owes me an explanation. I want to talk to God. And so two of Job's friends are going, you know, Job, let's be honest. God doesn't speak to people today. Like he's already speaking to you through your suffering. And, Job, and, and Job's going, no, no, God, I, I deserve to hear from God. And the youngest guy of the group, the only one who doesn't get rebuked by God at the end of the book, Elihu, I think his name, he's the only one who doesn't get rebuked. He responds and says to those guys and to Job in, in verse 14, chapter 33, verse 14, no, indeed God does speak. Now this is just like an argument with some of our cessationist friends. Well, come on, Job, God doesn't speak today. Go read your Bible. No, no, no. God does speak. Here one way, there another, though man may not perceive it. Well, that's pretty telling, isn't it? He speaks in various ways, but in those ways are ways that you may not realize that it's him. Man may not perceive that it's God. And then he goes off to list one of the ways God speaks in dreams. And visions of the night when sound sleep falls upon men when they slumber. He'll seal his instruction on their hearts. So right there, you get right off the bat, one of the ways that God speaks, a way we may not realize that it's him, is through dreams. Now, how many of you are like, ah, but you don't know the kind of dreams that I dream. Right? Well, sometimes you're just dreaming stuff that your, your, your own body is making up for you, that your own mind makes up for you while you sleep. And some dreams come from the Lord. And this is, I mean, very, uh, a repeated thing. You'll find several times where God speaks to people through dreams. He doesn't just speak to believers in dreams. He'll speak to unbelievers. For instance, how many of you know who Nebuchadnezzar is? Well, in Daniel chapter 2, we see Nebuchadnezzar having a very startling dream, a dream that bothers him to such a degree that he issues out this decree saying, hey, uh, I want you to find every person who is a prophet, every person who." is one of the prophets of, of Malek or prophets of Yahweh, any of the soothsayers or mystics in our, in our land, gather them all and tell them to find me the interpretation. Well, not only the interpretation of the dream I dreamt, they're going to have to tell me what I dreamt or I'm going to put them to death. Now, who wants to be a prophet in those days? The cost of prophecy is very high on that one. You're going to be put to death if you can't tell the king what he dreamt? So one of the young guys, uh, a guy named Daniel, he's probably not a big fan of uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, I, I, this is an inappropriate joke that I'm not going to make in this church. Uh, anyways, he, he says, do not all dreams belong to God. Uh, and he, he goes and prays. And God tells him what the dream is. And he comes to the king and he says, hey, you, will king, were dreaming and here's what you dreamt. And he begins to tell the king about how he dreamt of this statue made of these four different materials. And, he's, and then how this statue basically crumbled and, and that, that there was a new thing that came in power. Uh, and he says, now let me tell you what the dream means. And then he begins to lay out the interpretation of the dream uh, that will actually play out in history. Basically, King Nebuchadnezzar was given a foretelling of the next 500 years of human history and the known world. It's all about these next empires that are supposed to come. And one of the most famous passages is Daniel 2.44, where he says, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will have no end. And it's about the, 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 the coming kingdoms, the, the kingdom of the Babylonians, the kingdom of the, the Medo-Persians, the kingdom of the Assyrians, and then the kingdoms of the Greek and then the Romans. And he doesn't name off what those kingdoms are, but he just talks about and describes those kingdoms. Pretty amazing. But who did God speak to? Was it a believer or an unbeliever? One of the most mean pagan kings that ever existed. God gave that king, God even in his mercy, gave that king a dream. And he'll speak to believers, right? We see this happen uh, with Joseph. Uh, When when, uh, Mary gives birth to Jesus, Joseph has a dream, and in the dream, an angel visits him. And says, I want you to flee to Egypt for the life of your son is going to be pursued by by Herod. So how did did, uh, Joseph know to leave town and go to Egypt to to, to save the life of his son? Through a dream. Like, well, God, why would God speak through such flimsy means like dreams? Things are such easily dismissible. I don't know. I just know that I've had a better success rate at adjusting to my ways of listening to God rather than trying to get him to speak in in the ways that I would prefer it. Um, That's one thing that's true about God is we don't get to get him to do the the things that we want him to do. We have to adjust to his way of doing things. So uh, the problem with dreams is that dreams are, are oftentimes very easy to confuse Right? Sometimes you'll have a dream where it's very literal, you know exactly what God is saying, but most of the time you don't know what the dreams meant. Uh, and this brings me into a process that I think is worth talking about when it comes to hearing God. I want you to write down these three words. Revelation. And I'm going to give you a definition for that in a minute. Interpretation. And then the last word, application. Revelation just simply answers the question what is God saying? Interpretation answers the question, what does it mean? Application answers the question, what do I do with it? So what is God saying? What does it mean? What do I do with it? See why those questions might be good when you have a dream? See, some dreams, very literal, some dreams, very symbolic, and they require interpretation, much like the king, Nebuchadnezzar, and his dream, right? He knew what the dream was. He had the revelation. He didn't know what it meant, and so he needed help with that. I find that uh, most people are not really um, apt to interpret their own dreams. They usually need someone else who's gifted in that. Um, I usually talk to my wife. She's very gifted in interpretation, Um, most of the time I have no idea what it means. Or sometimes I'll get a dream and I'll I'll probably be mulling it over for the next couple of weeks to get the interpretation. Um, So one night, I'll give you an example of this. Uh, At at my old church, um, when I was at Jack Deere's church, we would have people every week get up and prophesy and we would actually schedule who those people were. And there was a few trusted people that Jack had on his team that, that he felt safe with them, doing it on a Sunday morning. Again, because we want the mature expression of those gifts, not just anybody. And so, um, the night, you know, I'm praying up into that week, knowing that Sunday morning is is my turn to get up and and see if I hear anything. Now, we can't guarantee that we're going to hear something, but we pray. And so, the night before uh, church, I have a dream where there's a woman on the left side of the church, and she has this, she's standing up, and she has this glass dome over her body that kind of keeps her immobile like this. Now, uh, in the dream, I just see her, and that's, that's kind of the end of the dream. Now, what do you think? Is the dream literal or dream symbolic? Okay, let's find out. And so there's probably not gonna be somebody with a glass dome showing up to church that Sunday, right? Nobody wears a glass dome over their body. So I get up and I, and I share, say, hey, last night I had this dream, and there's a woman here on the left side of the church, and you have this glass dome of your body. I think what the Lord is showing me, here's where I give the interpretation, Um, is that uh, you've been dealing with some sort of impediment that either causes great pain in your shoulders to where you you can't lift your arms up or you just, you're not able to. You've got some sort of immobilization, something that's impeded you from making movement. I said, if that's true, if there's a woman over here on the left side of the church, would you just raise your hand? (laughs) My application was not very well thought out. Uh, So anyway, this woman on the left side of the church she actually stands up and she says, I have what's called a frozen shoulder. Um, and so I was like, oh, okay, well, let's, let's pray for you after the church. I pray for her and she gets completely healed. Now, now think about this. Was the dream literal or was it uh, symbolic? A little bit of both. There was literally a woman who was going to be on the left side of the church. Uh, the symbolic part was that glass dome, which makes sense. How else was God going to show me she had a problem with her shoulder? Um, it required, that part of it requires interpretation. Um, and then what was the application? Share the word and, yeah, thank you, Sean. You shut no, your uh, So the application was we pray for her to be healed and we share the word. So not every word that you get is meant to be shared. Sometimes you'll know things about people that you're actually just supposed to pray about and you never share it. Uh, Sometimes you're supposed to pray for that person for months, and then you finally share it. I find that to be true a lot with dreams that I've had. Um, But we're going to find that this process is relevant, this revelation, application, interpretation, in all the various ways that God speaks to us. And so I'm using the word, uh, the ways that God speaks, synonymously with the word revelation. What is God saying? So another way that God will speak, and and I'm going to give you a list of these things, and this is by no means comprehensive. All right, these are just a few things I see in the Scriptures and a few things I've had experience with. And I'll, I'll let you know which one's which. So uh, visions is another way that God speaks. Now, we see visions all throughout the Scriptures, and there's different kinds of visions. There's some visions where, you know, God will say to, uh, 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 I think it was Jeremiah, hey, Jeremiah, look over there, and what do you see? Well, Jeremiah's like, well, I see the, an almond tree that's budding. And he goes, you see correctly. And there's this Hebrew sort of play on words that's taking place. So Jeremiah's seeing something quite literally in the natural, right? And God is speaking to him through a natural event. That's not necessarily a vision, um, but he is hearing God. Uh, so, and oftentimes God will speak in riddles or puns. You know, in, in Jeremiah's case, he's, he's actually speaking through a pun, right? He sees the budding of an almond tree. He says, you see accurately. In Hebrew, you see the same word for budding of an almond tree. Uh, and, and it's sort of, it's hard to explain, uh, where where that, those words are being employed to talk about Israel. Um, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, so I really can't explain how that makes sense, but you do see that a lot in the Old Testament. A vision is not necessarily something you're going to see uh, physically. A vision is sometimes physical reality will change in front of you. You have what's called an open vision, at least that's what people call it today, where physical reality suddenly changes. Uh, John probably had this when he said, and when he heard the Lord, he says, um, a door opened in the heavens, and I heard a voice speaking for the door saying, Come up here, I must show you things that must take place. Now, he's having some sort of supernatural visionary experience, probably a, a very literal one. Um, most of the time, visions don't take place like that. They usually take place in your mind, and you can find that throughout most of the Old Testament um, and the New. Uh, when, uh, when Agabus comes to Paul and he says, He um, says, uh, he comes and gives them a prophetic word. He binds up his hands with his belt. Says in the same way, the Romans will do, or the the, the Jews and, or, I can't remember if it's the Jews or Romans. One of them is going to bind you and hand you over to be uh, tortured. So that was probably because he had a vision of him being bound, and God told him, "Here's how I want you to give that word." Um, now visions are very easy to dismiss. They usually take place in your imagination. Now for most of us who are Westerners, we have a hard time with that. Because from the day you're born, when you're a little child and you're aggravating your parents, your parents will say something to you. Like, hey, we want to play. Well, go play. Well, there's nothing to do. Well, use your imagination. Right? That's what we say. And we relegate the word imagination to the place of make-believe. That is actually not how the biblical world thought of things. They actually thought of the imagination as a tool to commune with the gods. And so, God, is there any part of you that's off-limits to God? No, every part of you is, is God can use to speak to you. And one of the ways he'll do that is with your mind through visions in your imagination. Um, I'll give you an example of this. Uh, I was with a young group of people. We were all practicing hearing God. And uh, one of the girls, or one of the guys in the group says, um, when we were praying, uh, he said, oh, well, while we were praying, I got this vision and I saw a butterfly coming out of a cocoon. And he said, I don't know what it means, So he didn't have, that was the revelation, right? He saw a vision of a butterfly coming out of a cocoon. He goes, I don't know what it means. So he had no interpretation. He says, I just know it's meant for that girl right there. And he points to a girl sitting next to me. Uh, Well, she starts crying. She says, when I was a kid, I used to uh, write poetry. And one of the common themes in, in my poetry was how when a person is on fire for God, it's as beautiful as a butterfly coming out of a cocoon. So he had no idea what it it meant, but the person on the receiving end knew exactly what it meant. Um, And You'll see that that is often the case. You you may get the revelation. You may never get the interpretation until after you deliver the word through the application. Uh, I can give you another example. Sometimes God will speak through impressions or thoughts. Uh, Like you see this happen in Acts 27.10 where Paul is on a voyage on a ship and he says to the guys, men, I perceive that this voyage will, will be with great damage and potentially loss to our lives. Well, then the Lord sort of confirms his impression with an angelic visitation. And the angel basically says, hey, this ship is going to be shipwrecked, but I will spare every person on this vessel. So all of their lives get spared. Um, one time I was praying for the church and I looked over at this man and I had a thought just come to my head. And the, the thought was the word uh, recover just popped off in my head. I go, recover, recover. Lord, what does this mean? What are you trying to say? And so I start going through the scriptures, and oftentimes God will speak to me you know, through the scriptures um, in ways that sort of are not hermeneutically accurate. I would never use this to teach. But prophetically, I don't mind coming through the scriptures this way. And so I'm looking through, and I, I see this passage where, uh, it, it's in Samuel, where David um, and, and all of his soldiers, their, their wives and their kids were all taken And he prays and he says, Lord, will I recover? And then it talks about the the kids. Well, the words, will I recover, just sort of jumped out of the Bible. I was like, okay, Lord, I feel like you're showing me this guy's praying the words, will I recover? So again, I'm I'm trying to get more interpretation. And this is how this works. Usually it's a conversation with you and God where you're going back and forth. He reveals a little bit, you go, what does that mean? He reveals a little bit more, you go, what does that mean? And so uh, I said, Lord, what, what are you showing me? What is he trying to recover from? What is he trying to get back? What is he trying to recover? I don't hear anything. Just go silent. Suddenly it's like God isn't speaking to me. Okay, maybe you're not going to tell me what he's trying to recover. Well, what do you want me to say to him? And just a thought plays in my head. Michael, just tell him, yes, you will recover. Okay, here goes. I'm about to look like a big idiot again. Um, I said, sir, I, I, and I publicly did this. Sir, what's your name? He says his name. I said, I felt like the Lord showed me that you were praying the words, will I recover? Um, I don't know. I asked the Lord what you're trying to recover from, but he didn't tell me. He just wants you to know, yes, you will recover. I go, does that mean anything to you? He goes, his jaw just sort of drops. He goes, yeah, dude, you just totally read my mail. And I go, okay. Uh, well, I'd like to talk to you about that. Would you, would you come up to me afterwards and tell me why that's so meaningful? So he comes up to me afterwards. He says, this morning... I was getting my kids ready for church. He said, I I literally prayed, God, will I recover from my divorce? Now think about it. Why didn't God give me the interpretation? Why didn't God tell me what he was trying to recover from? Yeah, well, at that state, I was a, a young 24 year old. I probably would have publicly embarrassed him and shamed him in front of the whole church had I known. Yeah, just in my own ignorance, I would have done that. Is that the way God wants to comfort somebody who's praying, God, will I recover from my divorce? I mean, often divorce is very stigmatizing for people. The last thing they want to do is have that exposed in front of the whole church. And what is God's desire for that man? Well, to to comfort him in the midst of his pain, something he thinks he'll never recover from. Now, what if I had dismissed that thought it was just a thought that popped into my head, recover. What if I just dismissed it and thought, oh, that's just me? Oh, you just think you're being really prophetic right now? You know, like those kind of things. Who do you think you are? You hear from God? You know? I mean, that's the process we go through. Most of the time, we hear from the Lord and we, we immediately start finding reasons to dismiss what we feel like God is showing us. Are you into photography? You, I felt like the Lord showed me you have an artistic gift and that you do photography. Is that true? You just bought a camera a few weeks ago. That's wild. Uh, No way I would know that, right? That's probably a passion and a dream the Lord's giving you. So keep pursuing it. Um, I don't know any other way that this works. Uh, Another way God will speak is through trances. Trances are where physical reality changes. Trances are not something that you make happen. Those are things that happen to you. Now, when visions happen, obviously you can usually engage your imagination in that process, and God is engaging with you. That feels more voluntary. A trance doesn't feel voluntary at all. You don't make yourself go into a trance. A trance is something that happens to you. You are completely passive in that. Um, this happened to Peter. We see this in Acts chapter 10. Uh, I believe it's verse 10. It says, It uh, says, on the Lord's day, I fell into a trance. Now trances are are more visceral experiences. Physical reality changes around you. All of your senses are engaged in the process. You can smell, you can touch and feel, you can hear things, you can see things. Um, again, very intense experience. So when Peter it says he fell into the trance on a, on the Lord's day, he saw this thing come out of the heavens, this blanket or carpet. And on it were all of these unclean animals. And he hears a voice say, take and eat. And he goes, Lord, no, these these are unclean. I'm never going to eat these things. And the Lord says it three times to him. Do not call what I have called clean, unclean. And so afterwards, again, uh, he's perplexed by this trance that he just had, this thing that just happened to him. And the trance came on him and, and lifted in the same way that it came on him, just suddenly lifts Uh, And he's perplexed. So here he's got a revelation. Guess what he still needs? Interpretation. He doesn't know what it means. Matter of fact, he won't make sense of what it means until he goes with that Gentile and the Gentiles come into the faith in the same way that the Jews had come and experienced the Spirit. Then he knows full well what it means. These Gentiles who are unclean do not call unclean what I have called clean. Pretty cool, isn't it? So why do you think God would speak in really flimsy ways here one day, but then with Peter uh, in a very intense way with a trance? Why not just speak in ways that are clear with everybody, right? Well, think about what Peter was having to do. Is it normative for Peter to go and eat in the home of people he considered unclean? Matter of fact, what would others have thought of him if they found out that he was going to eat in their home? That was a very taboo thing to do. In that day, to eat with Gentiles. Matter of fact, when he comes back from the whole experience, the, the other apostles are like, you went and ate in the home of an uncircumcised man. I don't know why they say uncircumcised. Why not just say a Greek? But, but, but that's the way they phrase it. Uh, but that, that's, they're, they're, this is incredulous to them. Why did God speak in a more intense manner? Because what God was asking him to do was uncommon and taboo. And I find that the the more faith that is required for you to do what God says, usually he'll speak in more intense ways. Usually if God is is calling you to make a major move in your life, he'll probably speak to you in a way that's a little bit more intense, maybe through a trance, maybe through a prophet coming into town to tell you something. Um, The more intense the revelation, most often, because it's gonna require more faith on your part to do what God is saying. Um, giving a prophetic word in general where it's just gonna risk your reputation usually will not come in a very intense manner. They usually come in ways that are very easily dismissible. Uh, another way that God will speak is through, uh, well, I've already mentioned this, impressions. Um, well, we see, we see this also. I should give another example of this. Uh, Peter, in Acts chapter three, We see him come to the gate, uh, and he sees a man who's paralyzed from birth. Probably a man they'd all passed by before. Everybody knew who this guy was. He's always been there begging for money. As a matter of fact, Jesus probably passed by this guy on multiple occasions and never healed him. Pretty strange, don't you think? Jesus didn't heal everybody he saw. Uh, But here Peter comes, and he looks at the man, and it says he fixed his gaze on the man and perceived that he had faith to be made well. And so the guy's begging for money. He says, silver and gold have I none. But what I say to you, I say, get up and walk in the name of the Lord Jesus. And the man jumps to his feet, and he's completely restored. How did Peter know the guy would be healed? Well, there's probably an impression. He fixed his gaze on him. That sort of implies that he was looking at him, and he was seeing God is up to something here. And so then the man gets healed. Guess what happens because of that flimsy impression? I think, what, 4,000 come to believe in the Lord that day? 4,000 come to believe in the Lord. Another way that God will speak is through our physical senses. Um, The the best scriptural reference I have for this is Hebrews 5.14, though I don't think this is what this means uh, entirely, although I think it could be used this way. So take this with a grain of salt. Okay, now, solid food is for the mature man who through practice has trained their senses to discern good and evil. Um, I think there might be something tactile to that, your sensations. Um, you know, oftentimes I know, this does not happen to me, but I have friends that this happens to, where they'll be in a room like this and they'll suddenly feel a, a pain in their body that's not normative for them. And so when they feel that, they go, huh, you, usually somebody around them is having that sensation. Uh, I also see this happen with emotions. I had a friend, um, well, I'll give you two examples of this. My buddy Jeremy, uh, we were uh, at church, and I brought my friend Andrew with me. Uh, I used to work with them at a rock climbing wall. I worked at the rock climbing wall so I could get a free membership. Uh, <laughs> I was a poor intern at the church at the time. Uh, anyway, Andrew uh, came to church with me that morning, and uh, my buddy Jeremy gets up on the stage, and he says, Hey, you know that feeling you get when you show up to school and you have a test to take and you didn't study for it, you forgot about it? Because well, when I looked at you, I just felt that intense feeling in my chest. So I just rebuked that in the name of Jesus. He gave a little magic wave of his hand. Uh, well, it turns out that Andrew was sitting next to me having a panic attack. He suffered with something called agoraphobia, And when Jeremy said the words, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke that with the magic wave of his hand, all of the panic and anxiety left him suddenly. Um, Andrew would never go to places where he didn't know people or big open spaces. The reason Andrew showed up to church that morning is because when we were at the rock climbing wall, he told me that he had scoliosis and I prayed for him and the Lord healed him, which is why he went to church. He was so excited that the Lord had healed him that he's like, yeah, I'll come to your church. Uh, he never thought about the fact that he had agoraphobia. And because of it, he would always have these anxiety attacks. And so here the Lord is seeing this happen and says, I'm going to put my finger on that thing too and heals Andrew. How did my buddy Jeremy know about this? Well, when he looked at him, he felt that pain in his chest. And Andrew got completely healed. I ran into Andrew three years later. Andrew has, is a faithful disciple of Christ and was regularly involved in his church from that day forward. Andrew, when he came uh, to the church that morning, hadn't stepped foot in church in years. Pretty amazing, huh? Uh, Rachel, a friend of mine that I used to do ministry with, she was at the DMV and suddenly she felt this uh, just um, I don't know what the word would be uh word's escaping me right now. Like not just depression but like, like hopelessness pervasive hopelessness and she was like this is odd i don't i don't normally feel this way so it's an emotion she's not accustomed to feeling and so she's thinking lord is this you speaking to me uh and she turned to the girl next to her and she says um i know this is going to sound strange but i'm a christian and sometimes god will will speak to me about others and i feel like you've been contemplating suicide you've been dealing with major hopelessness is that true and the girl looks at her and starts crying and says, yes. So God won't show me this today because he doesn't want you to commit suicide. He loves you and he wants to save your life. And the girl actually had plans to commit suicide. And the Lord rescued her. Again, what would have happened? I mean, there's no telling if Rachel had just ignored that little prompting. I, I wouldn't be surprised if God is up to a lot more than we realize. Um, but we are, we're not always aware of it. Um, one of my buddies, the one who felt that physical sensation of anxiety, he used to think that he was just a very emotional kid because he would feel these emotions and these anxieties and pains and and it didn't make sense to his circumstances. Now, if if you're an anxious person uh, and you're feeling that anxiety, well, that's probably just your anxiety. Uh, We don't want to project what we're feeling on others, but if there's something that sort of defies your circumstances, it doesn't make sense to where you are in life, then oftentimes it's a way that God will speak to us. Um, another way that God speaks, and again, I don't, I don't have a biblical um, uh, verse for all of this, so again, you could take it with a grain of salt. Uh, I, I want us to know, like, we want to take a firm stand on the things that are biblical, things that are extra biblical, you, you take, a, take it with a grain of salt. Um, but another way that God really used to start speaking to me is I would look at somebody and they would remind me of somebody I knew. Now, I remember I, w- I went to... Uh, IHOP, International House of Prayer, as a young man. I'm, I'm a bit of a, a theology nerd. Uh, I love books. I, I remember in sixth grade, I got the bookworm award for, uh, I don't why did they think that was an award to give you that? Like, thanks for calling me a bookworm. Um, but, but I've always loved it. So I, I went into the bookstore at, at International House of Prayer, IHOP, and came out with a new C.S. Lewis book. Uh, uh, the, I think it was, what was it? It doesn't really matter to you guys. And then a Dietrich Bonhoeffer book, The Cost of Discipleship. And I was super excited to get my hands on these and start reading. Um, but when I sat down, I was suddenly super distracted, and I couldn't concentrate on the book in front of me. Because as I'd look around uh, at other people around me, I would see them and I would think, oh, hey, what, are that, what is that person doing here? And suddenly everybody around me looked like somebody I knew. And then I would take a closer look and like, oh, that's not that person. And it would just constantly happen. And so I was like, Lord, is this you? And I had heard that God would speak this way to people. I said, Lord, is this you? Well, if it is, stop it. I can't concentrate. I'm trying to read a book. And then it stops, just ceases. And two months goes by. And uh, I'm I'm with a couple of friends of mine from from high school youth group. And uh, we're eating breakfast together at IHOP, International House of Prayer. Sorry, International House of Pancakes. And this was in Dallas, Texas, off of Spring Valley in 75. And we sit down, and and I'm telling my friends about the gifts. I'm telling about all the experiences we've had, because this was all a newer thing for me. And um, they're kind of like, I don't know what to do with you right now. I mean, you've changed since high school. There's some weird stuff you're doing. And I said, listen, man, God does it all the time. He speaks to people. And suddenly the waitress walked up to me, and it happened again. She suddenly looked like somebody I knew. And so I'm totally playing it off, like, really cool, like, this is so, so normal for me. And I look at the woman, and I said, ma'am, do you have a toothache? And she's a, a lively black lady, and she goes, now, how did you know that? <laughs> and I said, well, the Lord showed me, Jesus showed me, because he wants to heal your mouth. Uh, I said, can we pray for you? She goes, are you serious? I go, yes, ma'am. She goes, well, you just made my day. Yeah, 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 you can pray for me. She goes, what do I do? And I said, well, you just put your hand on, on the part of your mouth. That hurts. Now, the reason I knew this is when, when I looked at her, she reminded me of a lady that I had prayed for in the past. I was on the dart rail uh, train system in Dallas, and I prayed for a woman who had a toothache. And when I looked at this woman, she, she just reminded me of this lady. And so, uh, anyway, she goes, okay, cool. I said, well, tell you what, I'm not going to pray for you. My friends are going to pray for you. And they're like, we are? I'm like, yes, you are. <laughs> Sometimes it helps to push people out of the boat. <laughs> And so I said, put your hands on her arm and just pray that that the Lord would heal her tooth in the name of Jesus. And so they did. And she goes, thank you so much. And she she walked away, and my friends were going, dude, what was that? And I said, what do you mean? My friend said, when I prayed for her, I could feel this like tingly sensation coming out of my arm. I said, well, that's power, right? It says that Jesus felt power leave him when the woman who was hemorrhaging touched him. I said, you just felt the, the power of the Holy Spirit leaving you. Because he's a believer, he's got the Holy Spirit, so he's feeling the, the power and presence of God. The lady comes back. She says, I just went and ate ice cream. She goes, I couldn't eat ice cream without being in severe pain. I'm supposed to have surgery on this tooth at the end of the week. I don't need surgery anymore. Like she was literally, she had it on the schedule to go get a root canal, and now suddenly the pain is gone because the Lord healed her tooth. And again, how did it happen? Well, she looked at me and she reminded me of a woman I knew. Remember, this used to happen to me all the time. Sean, you may remember this. Taylor McClendon was with me. He was brand new in all this stuff and he was asking to get coffee with me because he wanted to learn more about this stuff. And so he's asking me all these questions about how does God speak and and yada, yada. Well, this guy walks by me and when I look at him, it happened again. He reminded me of somebody I knew. I go, hey, Mark. And he turns to me and goes, do I know you? I said, no, you don't, but your name is Mark, and you're a youth pastor. He goes, yeah. How do you know this? I said, God told me. He told me your name. He told me, told me what you do for a living. He wants you to know you're doing a great job. Keep up the good work. He goes, thanks. He just kind of walks away, like severely confused. Meanwhile, my buddy, Taylor, who's super interested, the jaw just hits the table. He's like, how did you know that? And I was like, I don't know. When I looked at him, he reminded me of a guy I used to, who used to work at, at Pine Cove. His name was Mark. He was a youth pastor. And see, again, all of this stuff is super subjective, right? You can easily dismiss it. And so I'm going to, it's 1130. We're going to go to lunch and come back, right? At 1215? Okay, we got some time. Good. Um, I'm going to take some time to, to answer some more questions. Um if I should dive into the next teaching. Ah, let's let's field some questions. Uh, again at one30 I'm gonna talk, I'm gonna answer the questions. Uh, how do you what do you do if you get it wrong? And do you have to know that it's God? So I've given you a bunch of various ways that God speaks. Um, I wonder if I'm missing some information here, but let's take some time for to, to field some more questions. Jared, right? So the
3: revelation interpretation application, some things that you've learned on maybe um, speaking too far, uh, going out beyond your faith and trying to give a few more details or um, yeah, some mistakes I've made, so anything that you could share would be helpful.
2: Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Sometimes when we're, when we're doing this stuff, we feel like we need to add more umph to it. Uh, you know, it's like when people are, are praying for the sick. They feel like they need to shout in order for it to be more effective. Uh, the volume of your voice does not determine the power. <laughs> right? God is more powerful than your, you could whisper and see healings. It's, it's not determined on your, your, your voice. It's, it's determined on the sovereign nature of God. Um, same thing is true with prophecy. We don't need to add or take away from it. We need to trust the Lord in what he's given. Uh, he's far better at this than we are. But let me share a little bit about a mistake that I once made when it came to, the pro- to prophesying. Uh, there was a guy who was visiting the church, and I looked at him, and when I saw him, the word lawyer just popped off in my head. I said, like, oh, that's interesting. So what, what do you want me to tell him? And, I, and then I hear, he's making a change. Again, not a big audible voice from heaven, just a thought that played in my head. He's making a change. Okay, okay, gotcha. He's probably changing from, from, one, from, from prosecution to defense. Uh, um, and uh, what do you want me to say to him? And then I got a verse of scripture about God, him bringing God's justice to the earth. And so I said, excuse me, what's your name? Because again, I want to be accountable for every word I give. And this was publicly done. And he tells me his name. I said, I felt like the Lord showed me that you're a lawyer, that you're making a change from prosecution to defense. And God wants you to know you're bringing his justice to the earth. Uh, And then I read that passage of scripture about how God brings his justice to the earth. Well, the guy says to me, I I says, any of this true? And that's the other thing is when I give prophetic words, I don't ask questions until after I've given the whole word. Does this have any meaning? Because, right, two or three prophets speak, let others pass judgment, right? We need to weigh what is being said so that everybody can be edified by it. So uh, I said, any of this mean anything to you? Is this true? He goes, well, I am a lawyer and I did just make a change, but it was from defense to prosecution. Did I make a mistake? I said, no, sir, I, I made a mistake. Now, what did God tell me? You're a lawyer and you're making a change. What did I assume? I assumed that the change was prosecution to defense. Why did I assume that? Well, for me, Justice looks like defending the weak and the needy, but sometimes justice is also prosecuting the wicked. And so I assumed what the change was rather than asking the Lord what it was. I just assumed it. Well, that must be the change. And so instead of causing hope and encouragement and building the guy's faith, I did just the opposite. I caused him to second guess and question and so I said to him, listen, sir, I, I actually made the mistake. It's my job to clean up my mess that I just made. He said, I made, the cha- I made the mistake. I assumed that the change you make, made was from uh, prosecution to defense. But actually, it sounds like you made the exact right change. Sometimes uh, prosecuting the wicked is exactly how God brings his justice to the earth. So you see, I, did, I, did I hear from the Lord? Okay, nobody's going to deny that I heard from the Lord there. Where did I mess up in that process? I, I messed up in the interpretation, right? Application, right. Give the word to the guy. Encourage him. But my interpretation was just a little bit off. I've actually found that the vast majority of us, uh, when it comes to the mistakes we make, especially as we're beginning to grow in this, the vast majority make a mistake in the interpretive process. And the reason why that's the case is because there's a number of things that mess up our, our perspe- that mess with our, our prophetic ministry. For instance, and, Let's say you're a single person and you really want to be married. What what can you do in that that moment? Hey, I feel like the Lord is showing me you're you're wanting to be married and God's got a spouse for you. You're projecting on that person your own thing. And that happens often. Um, Let's say you're in financial struggles. Probably a good idea that you not prophesy to people about their financial struggles. Let's say... You're bitter with somebody and angry with them. You've got an offense towards that person. If I were you, I would not prophesy to that person or anybody at all until you deal with that offense. Because out of that bitterness, you'll say things that are not God, that are actually coming from an evil place. Um, So as a matter of fact, any area of your life where you're experiencing an insecurity, maybe you're a, a fearful person. You're constantly anxious. Uh, well, guess what, how that's going to alter your prophetic ministry? You're probably going to give words out of fear rather than out of faith, which is fear is, con- is contrary to faith. Um, uh, any, so any area of insecurity in your life is an area you would probably want to avoid prophesying about. Anywhere where your view of God, your theology is off, is also going to alter your prophetic words. Think about it this way. If you think God is a cosmic cop just waiting to pounce on you for every sin you commit, what is your prophetic ministry going to look like? Condemnation, heaping on shame, exposing people publicly. That is not the way God does things. God is not a cosmic cop. As a matter of fact, he is the one who is the judge. And he's actually, if you've believed in Christ, he's declared you righteous. He's not waiting to pounce on you for every sin you made. I remember being a young believer and every stop sign or stoplight I would hit, like if the light was red, I would think, oh no, this is because I'm, sin- I'm, I'm a sinful. I did something and God is punishing me. Any of you ever felt like that? It's because that, that truth that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ had not yet taken root in my heart. And so I saw God as just punitive constantly. And I thought that everything that happened to me was because God was sovereignly punishing me for my sin. Never mind the fact that there was somebody who suffered enough punishment for us all. His name was the Lord, Jesus. Um, So again, any area of insecurity in your life, any area where your theology is off are are areas where what you prophesy could be misinterpreted. What you hear from God could be misinterpreted. So the the process is not super clean and neat and easy, which is why I tell you, you have to be accountable for what you say. Uh, And also the reason why I don't let just anybody prophesy on a Sunday morning I let people mature in those gifts, and I see that, they've got a, that they're willing to submit to leadership. They're members in my community. They've been trained in how to prophesy and deliver words in a way that are gracious and kind, seasoned with salt, as Colossians says. Um, something else I need to mention about this. Oh, uh, there was another mistake that I made in the past. Oh, here, here it is. Um, I remember uh, I had been very early in this, just like uh, Spencer and Keaton, my mentor had taken me to, to, to Christ for the Nations Institute, and, and the first time I'd ever publicly did any kind of prophetic ministry. And he put me on a stage, he taught, and then had me come up and, and deliver words to people. And I remember looking at one guy. Now, at this time in my life, I had just left Young Life to go work for Jack at his church. Uh, I didn't make a lot of money. I think at the time I was making $1,200 a month. I had an old, beat-up S10 blazer. The, uh, the, the car door, the driver's side door, a buddy of mine backed into it and dented in the door so bad that I couldn't even open it. And I didn't have the heart to make him fix it or pay for it. And so uh, I used to drive, I used to have to climb into the passenger door and crawl over the steering column to get into my driver's seat to drive the car. Not only that, but the, uh, the window, the motor in the windows had broken. And so none of the windows could roll down. And the uh, AC had gone out. I mean, this was a hoopty. Uh, and so, in middle of Texas summer, right, that's the car I drove. So I'm here with, with Jack, and we're, we're ministering, and I'm up on the stage, and I'm going to give it my go and prophesy. And I look at this guy out in the audience, and I think, man, he's pretty nicely dressed. I should give him a word. Maybe he'll want to support my ministry. Do you see that? Do you see how defiling that is? Like, the, the insecurity, the, the, the financial struggles I was dealing with were motivating a, a prophetic ministry. That's not godly. That's self-seeking. You ever wonder why um, why chapter 13 of Corinthians, what, what that's all about and why it's always read at a wedding? Like when do you hear chapter Corinthians read? God is love, right? The, the, God is patient kind love is patient love is kind it's never self-seeking it's always such a strange thing i think to read at a wedding because it starts off with if i speak with the tongues of angels or of men but have not love like that is so weird uh, tongues of angels why would you talk about that at a wedding well it, it's because that that passage is actually has nothing to do with a wedding it literally is not about marriage at all um, when you look at that chapter where is it in the scriptures what's the context Chapter 12, Paul says, now, concerning spiritual gifts, this area that you guys seem to be misusing in Corinth, uh, I do not want you to be ignorant or unaware. And then he begins to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. You know, some people thought that they were more spiritual because they spoke in tongues. And he's addressing that issue. And then he's like, he, he goes through all of this, and then in chapter 13, he's like, now let me show you a better way when it comes to using the gifts. All right, if I speak with the tongues of, well, not just men, with the tongues of angels, right? It's a hyperbolic expression. And if I have not love, it's worthless. It's just a loud sound. And then he goes into, uh, I mean, if I not just get a few words of knowledge, but I know all mysteries, right? Are you, are you seeing the hyperbolic nature of what he's saying? He's making a point about the gifts of the Spirit, not about marriage. Although it is beautiful for marriage, it could certainly be applied to marriage because it helps you understand what love is about. So the point of the gifts is to be love in such a way that's powerful and effective. Anybody you love suffer? Ever felt yourself at a crossroads going, I love this person so much, I don't know what to do to help. Like, what, your, your human abilities are failing you in that moment and you just want to bring about a change for that person. That is why we have the gifts of the Spirit. You've got a child that's suffering and sick You need a gift of healing for that child. It's a way to love that child with power. That's what the gifts of the Spirit are. Um, Somebody is discouraged, they're suffering, they're they're self-loathing and and experiencing self-hatred. That's when you need a word of prophecy to comfort them in the midst of that, to let them know that they're worth loving and knowing by God, because God loves them and knows them. knows the secrets of their heart. That chapter 13 is all about how we can love people in such a way that it affects a real change in their lives. Gift of tongues is not about being super spiritual, right? It's not so that you can pray in a more spirit-empowered way. That's not what tongues is for. Tongues is for the person that doesn't know how to pray whose words have suddenly failed them. They, they, they feel like they're praying, God, I just I want to pray more because I, I want something to change in this person's life and, and I don't want to keep repeating myself over and over again. Please help me. Help me. I don't even know how to pray. Boom. Here's a way to pray. It's not so that you can look super spiritual because you have some sort of weird language. It's so that you can pray when, you're, when your understanding is failing you and you don't know how to. This is what the gifts of the Spirit are for. Sorry, I'm, I'm like on a little like, sermon here. Uh <laughs> I just, I, I find that the, the, there's so much misconception about what these things are all for. It's not so that we can be spiritual. It's so that we can actually love people in a way that affects change. All right, next question. You got one? Yeah. You I'm a pastor of this church. I got a couple questions.
0: Well, no, I, you... He's crazy I, charismatic.
2: <laughs> I'm more asking
0: questions of questions that I've I yeah. heard, and I want your opinion. So, sure. like... The accusation of, like, you charismatics just sit around waiting for your next, like, trance or vision or word of the Lord, why won't you just use the Scripture? I hear that a lot, that vibe at least.
2: Well, and sometimes there's truth to that, right? There's some people that are waiting for a word from God before they act, and that's actually paralyzing. They need a word of God for everything. Um, so let me, let me address that, this idea, well, why not just go to the Scriptures? Okay, well, think about the couple, the lady's trying to buy a house. is the scripture going to say, here, buy a house today? It's not going to say that. Are the scriptures going to let that guy who's trying to recover from his divorce know? I mean, here's the thing. Most of us know instinctively that God loves us and he forgives us. But sometimes what you know is sort of a fact lodged away in your head, and you don't feel the truth of it. And so God helps us in our weakness with a prophetic word, right? We all know that God loves us, but we don't always feel the affection of God. And that's what prophecy does. It helps take what's in our head, what's true in the scriptures, and viscerally break through the guards that we have and the lies of the enemy. Now, here's the truth. We should be able to go to the Word of God and get those things. We should. Sometimes our humanity fails us. And so God, in his superhumanity, breaks through. Um, let me, there's, there's more to this. Uh, why not just go? So, so there's an error on both sides of this. The error is thinking that, well, we just need the Scripture, sola scriptura. But the problem is, if you're really serious about the Scriptures, the Scriptures talk about prophecy and pursuing it. So if you're really biblically serious about what the Scriptures say, then do what it says when it says desire earnestly spiritual gifts. Pursue prophecy. Right? That's being biblically serious. Now, what are we supposed to do when someone's sick? Pray for them. Bring them in front of the elders. Have the elders lay their hands on them and have that person confess their sins. Anoint them with oil. The prayer of the righteous man availeth much. So being biblically serious means pursuing the gifts. So this idea of, well, we just need the Scriptures. No, that's not what the Scriptures say. The Scriptures say you need the gifts. Um, But on the other side of it, you've got this side over here that says, well, I'm not going to act unless God speaks to me. Well, no, no. The Scriptures also tell you to pursue wisdom. Wisdom means skill at living life, right? You, you should be able to make decisions because the Scriptures give you wisdom. So the failure would be to not consult God on the front end. Hey, God, should I, should I go in this direction? Now, usually when God doesn't speak to me about a particular situation, I make the best decision I can based on what the wisdom gives me in the Scripture, what the Scriptures give me regarding wisdom. Um, so it, it's not a one or the other. It's a both and. And there is a failure by being paralyzed and waiting for some supernatural event from God, but then there's also a failure in not seeking God to speak to you directly because both of those are admonished in the Scripture. So being biblically serious, being serious about the Word means being spirit-led. Being spirit-led means you absolutely should be biblically serious. Um, I I think there's a problem here in thinking that, well, if I pursue the gifts, I'm just gonna gonna water down the Word uh, and if I just pursue the Scriptures, I'm going to water down the Spirit and put them in a box. And I think if you're serious about either one of them, you have to be about them both. So The follow-up
0: is how beholden is someone to someone that says, this, I think the Lord's saying this. Mm-hmm. You've talked about this on Remnant. I've heard you talk about mm-hmm. it. But, like, someone says this is the Word of the Lord. Well, then that's the will of God for my life. I better do it, right? You know, I feel like people walk that line to...
2: Yeah. So add. let's talk about that. So... Uh, the scriptures. They, they say, when it comes to prophecy, you don't see them in the scriptures making a decision based off of a word right then there. As a matter of fact, in First Corinthians fourteen, he says, "Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others pass judgment." Okay, it's this idea of weighing on a scale. You know the scales, that you see, um, you're weighing what's being said to determine what is God and what is not. And then you also see this happen with. Uh, um, the Thessalonians, you know, Paul is saying to them, hey, do not despise prophecy. Why would he have to tell them not to despise one of the gifts of God? Why? Well, because sometimes those gifts can be misused and cause people to despise it. And so he's saying, hey, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just because you saw somebody misuse a gift doesn't mean you stop appreciating what God gives that is good. They're called good gifts. God gives good gifts to those who ask. In Matthew 7 and in Luke 11, those are about the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, He says, do not despise prophecy. But you know what he says right before that? He says, do not quench the Spirit. How do you quench the Spirit? By despising the Spirit's gifts. And then he goes on to say, hold fast to what is good, abstain from what is evil. So it's this idea of sifting the prophetic ministry that's been given, right? Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecy. These fit together. It's not like Paul is just saying a bunch of random things, okay? He, he's saying one thing, and he's, he's, going for, he's building upon precept upon precept here. Do not despise prophecy. There's a do not quench the Spirit. How? Well, don't despise the gifts of the Spirit. Don't despise prophecy, And and when prophecy is misused or when you get a prophetic word that you could be tempted to despise, hold fast to what is good in that word and abstain from what is not good. Matter of fact, later on, you know, he'll talk to Timothy and he'll say, hey, listen, uh, recall the prophetic words that were spoken over you and use those prophetic words. Stand fast in them that you may fight the good fight of faith. You know what he doesn't say? Hold fast to the scriptures so that you may fight the good fight of faith. He says, hold fast to the prophetic words given over you. Now, does that mean that we're not to hold fast to the Scriptures? No, we absolutely are. But if we were meant to only hold fast to the Scriptures, Paul wouldn't say that to Timothy. He wouldn't say, hold fast to the prophecies that were spoken over you. And so it's not a one or the other. It's a both and in this. Um, so the, there is a temptation to despise the gifts. And it's because any of you ever received a prophetic word where afterwards you felt worse than how you felt before they gave the word? All uh, right. Yeah, well, that happens. And so what's Paul's admonishment to you? Hey, don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophecy. Hold fast to what is good. You as a believing person in the body of Christ are responsible with what you do with what is said to you. That means either rejecting what's said or accepting what's good. So abstain from the evil part of it. Reject the part that is not of God. Accept and embrace what is of God and use it to fight the good fight of faith. You are empowered as believers, right? Prophecy is not meant to be accepted carte blanche, okay? Yes, you're morally responsible for what God says to you. You're also morally responsible for discerning what is God and what is not. If it contradicts the scriptures, usually if it has a defiling effect, to you, if it makes you feel worse after hearing it, you need to weigh what's said and try to find out, okay, God, what were you saying in the midst of that, right? That, that's, there's a sifting that should take place there. Um, gosh, there's something else I was going to mention. Oh, that's not how Paul treats the scriptures, though, right? So Paul will say to the Corinthian church in the same chapter, uh, let two or three prophets speak, let the others pass judgment. But then right after that, he says to the prophets, hey, you who thinks you're spiritual, You who thinks you're really prophetic, recognize that what I am writing are the very words of God. Sounds different than let others pass judgment. So with prophecy, there's a weighing. With the writings of the scriptures, with Paul's writings, you're not to weigh it. You're you're simply supposed to recognize this is God. So which one holds more authority, the the scriptures or prophecy? The The scriptures. And every prophecy is subject to the scriptures, The Scriptures are the more sure word of God. Um, There's a big debate that that was birthed out of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, This idea of cessationism, uh, the doctrine that the gifts have ceased, this was birthed from the Protestant Reformation. Now, listen, I am a Protestant, okay? I actually, I I think there's some doctrinal errors that are so grievous in the Catholic church that should be considered heresy. I do. I do. Uh, I do not think the Pope, speaking ex-cathedra, speaks on par with the Word of God. I, I do not believe that. I think the Canaan is closed. Uh, and a number of other doctrines I think are reprehensible. So I am Protestant. However, I do think there was an error in the Protestant Reformation. One of the ways that the Protestants discredited the Catholic Church is the Catholics would point to their saints and the miracles uh, conducted by those saints. And the Protestants would go, oh, come on, this is during the French Enlightenment. Uh, specifically, John Calvin, he birthed the, cessation, or the, the doctrine of the cessation of the gifts. And he'd go, ah, come on. We all know that those Catholics say it's all made-up superstition. God's not doing that stuff today. Well, what's interesting is God was doing that stuff in their very day. If you go and read about the, the reformers in Scotland, John uh, Knox, uh, George Wishart, some of these reformers, you saw crazy prophetic words given resuscitations from the dead, prophecies and, and, and their fulfillments right then and there, people speaking in tongues. All of this was happening in the Protestant Reformation in Scotland, despite what, what Geneva said and what Calvin said, and I say the, the, the school of thought in Geneva. Um, they were wrong about their cessationism, and they were trying to, that was birthed as a way to discredit the Catholic Church. So, sola scriptura, was not meant as a doctrine to tell you that God is not speaking outside of the Scriptures. Sola Scriptura is meant to tell you that these Scriptures are the sole source of authority by the Scriptures alone, right? That is our authority Um, uh, by faith alone, right? Salvation doesn't come through works, but by grace, through faith. So I'm all for the five solas. I'm a Protestant uh, of the Reformed side of things. I just disagree with cessationism as a doctrine. So I'm, I'm really, I'm preachy again. I'm going to get to questions. Go for it. Next question. Right there.
4: So in working with other people and trying to develop their prophetic gift, I guess one thing that I notice is people take um, something that the Holy Spirit has told them that I would judge would be something like, as far as like 20% of importance. And it becomes something that's really major in their lives. But it is something that the Lord spoke to them. Um, they're mis-prioritizing? I feel like they, well, I just feel like they, have, they just overdo it. Like there's an overemphasis or it's not something that is true, and it is from the Spirit. And I don't, personally, I'm having a difficult time helping some people with that balance. Um, because to me, I just learned, like one day it just dawned on me, like I'm overdoing this. Um, Do you have any experience in that? How do you help people just like, if it's something that the Holy Spirit say, he said it, but maybe it's minor. It's not like the main thing in your life right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, there was one guy in, in my community. He had a, like, he had almost every prophecy he'd ever been given on his computer. And he was so obsessed with all those prophecies. But he didn't know the scriptures at all. And he was like, well, hey, God said this to me. Okay, but you still are responsible to go to the scriptures and get wisdom. Um, and so I, I just tell people, hey, you're misprioritizing the, the gift of prophecy and the prophecies that have been spoken to you. I'm brutally honest about those things. Sean confirmed that I'm brutally honest. <laughs> uh, I don't mind telling people like, hey, this is, this is out of, uh, uh, what's the word, this is imbalanced, right? There's a prioritization that you're giving to prophecy or to the gifts of the spirit or to the, ex- the, 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 the voice of God external from the scriptures that's actually not biblical. The Bible itself is our more sure word, and I I emphasize that. So um, I think when you observe that, being brutally honest, it's not gonna help them sort of tiptoeing around the mistake they're making. Uh, And and I I think we have biblical precedent to do so, Um, right? It says, all scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And, and I think that is a fear, again, is we see some people that love the gifts of the Spirit and, and in their passion and in their zeal for the gifts of the Spirit, they're neglecting the basic disciplines that are given to us in Scripture, like prayer, the teaching of the Word, the sacraments, um, fasting, discipleship. Uh, those things, we, we don't get to have one and just ignore the other. We, we are still biblically mandated to pursue them as well. And so when I find myself at charismatic churches, I oftentimes am emphasizing those things because the charismatic church doesn't necessarily need more of the spirit uh, manifestations. They need biblical training and doctrine. Um, and then when I'm in a church that's mostly, you know, doctrinally sound, but they have very little experience of the spirit, well, I'm going to teach on the gifts of the spirit. So, Yes. Uh, am I open to interpreting your dream? I, I'm probably not, but that's really not one of my strong gifts. Um, and also, I think like a dream interpretation type thing is often needed for like a separate workshop. I mean, you really, you really need a good amount of time to just talk about dreams. They're so prolific in the scriptures, and there's a lot of insight on how to interpret them, but that I couldn't do today. And honestly, I'm not even that good at it. Uh, I would outsource for that. <laughs> I have friends who are fantastic at it. There's a lady named Kathy Gray. You can find her website online. She's got great resources for dream interpretation, and I think they're biblical. Funny thing is, I did one episode on the Remnant Radio of dream interpretation, and suddenly people start sending me their dreams, and I'm like, I'm not going to interpret your dreams. Something else that happens when when you teach on prophecy is people will think, well, I've got to I've got to come to this person and get a word. And and that's actually not really helpful. You know, God hasn't made anybody your personal prophet. At the end of the day, you're responsible to go to God and trust Him to bring you whatever prophetic word you need. Um, Yeah. Yeah, there first and then come over.
1: Where I've heard... Whoa. I've heard it in the past is um, a prophet is one who speaks for God. You're saying... A prophet is one who speaks from God, and I'm grateful, um, or hears from God on behalf of others. So I'm grateful for that, like, correction and definition. Um, I should say that I'm a DTS student. Cool. Um, and so what I'm wondering is, what else am I missing from Jack Deere? You're, 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 you're
2: literally, are you attending online?
1: Yeah, so okay, yeah, under Professor Kreider. So
2: DTS is oh Kreider, yeah, yeah, he makes yeah. you read Jack's book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know I've all about Kreider. I've read his notes too, so right. I could talk to you about it.
1: So I imagine that you and Jack have probably, like us at DTS, have had to refute Jack's book. Um, what I would love. So is let me
2: like, let me give you all some background knowledge. You know, <laughs> she's talking about. So she's at DTS is Dallas Theological Seminary. The the seminary is a cessationist seminary, although they allow continuous to come. Uh, and uh, the class she's taking is by a professor who, who has them read a book by my mentor called Surprised by the Voice of God. And in it, he expects his students to refute Jack Deere's continuous stance on the voice of God extra-biblically. Go ahead.
1: Right, so what I missed in that class where I was thinking, this isn't lining up with Scripture, and it's not lining up with my experience, what I'm missing is Jack's words back to back to the DTS students. Yeah. And so I'm wondering like you being I, his mentor. I'm
2: gonna I'm gonna address some of those okay. arguments yeah. at one thirty.
1: Okay, I hear it already in your language, like normative and non normative and
2: yeah. but okay. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, I'll be happy to Yeah, Kreider, I've I've watched his whole PowerPoint presentation on the voice of God and why he doesn't think God's speaking and he'll say that if anybody's is speaking the word of God and they get it wrong. They're supposed to be stoned. So I, I've read all of his arguments and I'll, I'll go through them at 1.30. So hopefully that'll be helpful. I love that you're taking Crider's class and funny because I know all this stuff because I was in Dallas, you know. Um. Um, so
0: with the, and if this, is, if this is something we need to talk about later, that's fine, but with the reality that like the sheep of God hear his voice. Mm-hmm. And then with the reality of like a gift of prophecy, I was kind of wondering like if you could describe um, how, does how, how, yeah, how important it is to like understand like what do, what kind of role do I have gift sure. or not
2: gift? So one of the reasons I think teaching on prophecy is so important is uh, not just for those who have a gift of prophecy, but for all believers because we all hear his voice, right? My sheep know my voice. Now many will be prophetically gifted because that is sort of the culmination of eschatology that God is gonna pour forth his spirit. And the more we get to the, the end of the, the age, the, the more difficult things are gonna get. But we're also gonna see God pouring out his spirit in greater and greater measure. And so uh, preparing people for that, preparing them to, to discern what God is saying is super important. Um, so again, everybody hears God. If you're a believer, you're in Christ, you're one of his sheep, then you hear the voice of God. You may not recognize it's him. You may not know how to interpret what he's saying. And so that's why I think it's so important to talk about the ways God speaks and how to filter what he's saying. Um, Now, a person who has a gift of prophecy, the difference between them and a person who hears from God is they're not just hearing God about themselves. They're hearing God on behalf of others. So that's the distinction between the two. Does that help? And so again, what I'm also trying to do is create an approach to hearing God on behalf of others that brings with it humility in, in the packaging of what we say. It allows people the freedom to weigh what was said rather than to feel like I'm obligated by God. If I don't obey what you just said, then I'm disobedient to God. I'm trying to avoid that mistake. So. I feel like I got very intense just now.
5: So I have like gone to places where they've given prophetic words and I was in a season of my life where I was just so desperate to hear the voice of the Lord mm-hmm. um, that I went up just expecting that whatever came out of that person's mouth was the voice of the Lord. So what they shared. Which I, is
2: actually not a healthy yeah, approach, right?
5: Not. Um, so what, what they shared kind of just went in one ear and out the other, but because I was so desperate to hear from the voice of the Lord, I had this like emotional response and just broke down crying because I thought it was the voice of the Lord. And I remember processing it later, and then all of it just kind of went away because I knew it wasn't like it. Mm -hmm. None of it actually resonated. I was just in a place of like being so desperate and so weighed down by my sin. So now that I'm in a much healthier place, and the roles are being reversed to where I'm going to be that like person ministering and like potentially giving people prophetic words and you know praying for people. How do you, being that person, you know, because me receiving that prophetic word had an emotional response, they automatically assumed that they were spot on. Yeah. Okay, so so let me, how I mean, do you? So let me stop yeah. you for
2: a second, we'll, and we'll come back. Um, so. This happens a lot in, in charismatic places where gifts are being expressed. You'll assume that what you said must be really good and must be God because the person on the receiving end is emotional. Their emotions don't determine anything. As a matter of fact, you still need to weigh what was said, uh, which is why like, if somebody's crying, like that guy who, read, who said, uh, yeah, you just totally read my mail. When I said, hey, I feel like you're praying the words, will I recover? Okay, well, it was important for me to sit down and actually have a conversation with him after the fact to say, why was that so meaningful? Because in that moment, you're going to go, oh, wait, maybe I messed up completely. That wasn't meaningful. You just felt condemned by what I just said. Really hard to clean up your mess if you don't know you made one. And so assuming that just because somebody shows an emotional response means that you're right is actually a very uh, bad mistake to make. Okay, so that said, yeah, now you're in so a healthier place.
5: Yeah, So now that I'm, you know, being trained and wanting to, you know, be in, in the opposite position, um, how do you, from that perspective, understand that there'll be people that do that? How do you, you know, still minister to them in a healthy way? And how do you like either discern that that's what's happening or like, how do you, process through that in that well, moment in a healthy way.
2: Let's, let's take this as a case study. How would it have helped you if I said, hey, you're, you're, you're crying and I understand there's something emotional going on. I'd really like to know what's going on, how I can help. Did what I say, was it meaningful to you and that's why you're crying? Or are you crying for a different reason? I mean, just simply taking time to ask the person questions and, and find out what's going on in their world when that, because then it gives me the opportunity, like if I messed up, I get to take responsibility. Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry you felt weighed down by what I said that's that's either not what I meant or oh I need to apologize I need to make that right in that moment so something else I haven't mentioned that's probably helpful um, when it comes to any kind of ministry that's communicative in nature whether it be teaching or prophecy uh social skills are really important I know that, that sounds like an obvious, funny thing to say, but, but you'd be surprised at how many people lack social skills. Um, it, it really is just like, and I told these guys, when I brought them up here, I said beforehand, hey, listen, when you deliver something, I want you to think about how it might be to be on the receiving end of what you're saying. Um, social skills actually matter. Learning how to meet people where, where they're at, how to ask the right questions uh, is very important. Um, and there's lots of good books on how to develop social skills. Uh, just so you know, uh, many of us, if we grow up, especially in dysfunctional homes, we, we come into adult life and don't have those social skills. One of, one of the problems I made early on, and I was thankful that I had really good friends who were very honest with me about my bad social skills. Um, every time, I, I, I couldn't date successfully. I, I would go out on a date with a girl and I would literally dominate the whole conversation. Um, and I would talk about myself constantly. And then a friend of mine uh, said, hey, listen, I need to say something. It's gonna be really hard to hear, but I felt really hurt by you and it's because you never asked me questions about my life. Matter of fact, I've observed you doing this with others and I thought you might wanna know that and here's why this is so important. And I was kind of defensive when he told me, but uh, afterwards I was like, that made a huge difference in my life. Like, this is why I've been so bad at dating and nobody told me this. Now, in my home, when we wanted to talk, we would just talk over one another. The person who was the funniest and the loudest was the one who talked. And so social skills make a big difference. Um, Summarize that. All right, let's do one more question, and then we're going to do some more prophetic ministry. Did we say 1215 or 1230? Okay, it's going to be 1230 now, Andrew. Other questions? None? All right, good. Um, let's do some prophetic ministry. Uh, you guys want to come back up? Were you praying and getting more words? <laughs> no? <laughs> oh, I, it's all right. That's right. You don't have to give anything. Well, see if you get anything while you're up here, okay? What about you, Sean? You getting more words? Good. Okay. Wait, y'all need this microphone. What about you, Spencer? You get anything else? Maybe? All right. Hey, you know, sometimes they'll just speak to you while you're up there. So. Just be looking, don't give the evil prophetic eye thing. Just kind of look out and be like, Yeah. You'll see this with prophetic people. They'll be like, And you'll be on the end going, You know, like that kind of. I I don't find anything helpful in making things look more spiritual than they actually are. Like I said, when you pray for the sick, uh, shouting loudly at a disease is not helpful. Um, Matter of fact, there's times when Jesus didn't pray at all. He would just lay a hand on somebody. So, um, and I think in the charismatic world, the the fact is this stuff is already weird enough. We don't need to make it more weird by adding hype and flair to it. This is not helpful. So,
3: yes, Jesus. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, So I had a general word uh, for somebody that I feel needed a spinal column healing. Uh, specifically, You may have had a spinal tap, but I want to make sure. I feel like you're, they were coming this afternoon, but I want to make sure if you were here to this morning that you would get prayed for for healing for I, your spinal column.
2: What does that mean, They have a spinal tap? What is, I don't you, even know what that I is. I don't even know what a spinal
3: tap is, but I saw a spinal. I know the movie. Yeah, I know the movie. I was thinking that one, too, actually. <laughs> um,
2: it's it's it a again. lumbar puncture? Oh, Is that something somebody in the room has had to do? Oh,
3: okay. Okay.
2: Have you had complications from it since?
3: Yeah. Uh, Maybe. Maybe. Okay, well, maybe. Pray for that. Okay. And then I had a sense also that somebody just had driven a long way, and it wasn't just a nice addition to your life today. This is very general. Uh, This wasn't just a nice addition. You needed God to show up. Like you needed, you're desperate for God to do something. Uh, I thought it could be healing, but I wasn't sure.
2: Is that true? Is anybody dr- driven a long distance to be here? Pretty desperate. Okay. Okay. Well, let's. If it's, I imagine if he's desperate, he probably didn't want to share out loud. But right. that's fine. But we want to pray for you afterwards. Is that cool? Yeah. Thanks. Um, okay. Hold on. Let me just. Say, you see yeah. what I just did there? I made sure that somebody who's in a vulnerable place didn't get exposed publicly. That I'm protecting that person's integrity. That 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 always wants to happen.
3: And, and I'll make an invitation at the end. I'll say, hey, if you didn't want to share, that's fine. Come find me, and we can talk privately, and then nobody knows. So I'll say that again. Um, dream interpretation. Uh, what, what's your name? Nick?
2: Nitten. It's, it's hard to pronounce. Right?
3: Okay. <laughs> um, I just I just I felt like you were... I just kept hearing this alpha male uh, leader, firstborn, like astronauts are firstborns. And I saw you leading business. I just saw business over you, the word business. And I feel like people would easily follow you because you know where you're going.
2: Look! Look at him. He's just laughing about that in the back. Really? So you guys just drove in from Chicago. I know that because I know him. Uh, but they just drove in from Chicago, and that was a conversation you were having in the car up here. No way. Isn't that weird? So he was having that conversation on the way here. Is there any, let me just ask, <laughs> is there any way right he now. could have known that about you? Now, I know you, but, but what he just shared, there's nothing I could have shared with him that would have made that.
3: That's all true.
2: Do y'all y'all, y'all Wait, know what I, I'm I, talking about. I'm afraid
3: right now. Like, I'm really scared. <laughs>
2: Let me, let me just stop and comment a couple of things. Uh, how many of you are like, okay, that's that's encouraging to see something like that happen?
3: It encourages all
2: the okay. I'm freaking out. Yeah, well, this yeah. is something else you'll notice is uh, even when you're the one giving the word, uh, you'll often find like you're encouraged by that. Like, oh, God, thank you. you you're willing to speak to me? Like, oh, thank you so much. It, it shouldn't cause you to be prideful. If anything, it should cause you to feel more humbled and and like a recognition, like God cares, so.
1: So you knowing that and God giving that to you,
0: how was that edifying or? or well, let's
2: ask him. Yeah. Niden, why was that encouraging or was it encouraging? Was that edifying?
0: Yeah, I mean, we're like in the midst of like a huge conflict with a lot of people and, and we're like, man, are we?
2: Hold on, stop real quick. Let me, uh. Yeah, I'll let, let him share real quick, and then we'll come right back. I just don't want to miss out, and you say something that would that would betray what he already was going to tell you. Mike. Yeah. Before you
4: said disagreement, um, I was looking back, and I
2: so he's got heard the words,
4: down. I'm with you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And when I said that out loud to myself, um, I felt like it had to be a disagreement or some sort of loss, um, particularly with parents, though.
2: Does that make sense? I don't know if. All right. Yeah. Let him evaluate. All right, now you can talk about some of this encouraging, some of it not. Give us the full feedback.
0: Working backwards, the parents one doesn't resonate Um, initially. um, Why it's edifying? Growing up, I was the kid that was bullied at you know, church and stuff like that. And so I always thought of myself as less than, never thought of myself as a leader. Um, it wasn't until recently where I feel like the Lord really taught me to uh, grow into, into leadership and, and, you know, people have given me prophetic words of the like.
2: So kind of own that the mm-hmm. truth that God says, not what the bullies were saying to you. Yeah,
0: and specifically which, this conversation which, we were having, it was in relation to, like, we were talking about alpha male versus beta male. Like that was in context to someone who had bullied me, uh, hmm. in the past, too, who questions my leadership and what I do and stuff like that. So
2: so you guys see why that would be encouraging now? So you don't always know what people's stories are, and often the person giving the prophetic word, you know, we're told in 1 Corinthians 13, we know in part, we prophesy in part, right? So we don't always know the full story that's going on, um, but often we give those words and give people the space to tell us, then everything kind of comes to light. You go, oh, wow, God, you really do know all things. that's awesome yeah
5: what if the prophetic idea is negative to the person because they're doing something wrong and you feel that and you need to try to convey that to them how do you handle that
2: so if i need to bring correction and i feel like it's a correction that god had given me prophetically i still approach it with humility i still and i wouldn't do it publicly we don't we never correct publicly unless we've We've gone to great lengths and we're the elders of the church and, you know, that kind of thing. Then we've been, after we've disciplined the person, they're refused, refusing to repent, then we bring it publicly before the body. Um, but we always correct privately, and, and I think there is a space for that. Especially if God has revealed it to you prophetically, that there's a correction that's needed, then the reason for that is because there's power to actually bring about that correction. Um, but we don't do it in a way that's condemning, and we don't do it in a way that's, that's sort of, God told me, so you have to obey. It's, hey, I feel like God showed me this. Is this true? Is this going on? Uh, And then offer the, the, the correction. I think that happens. I mean, you know, God is so gracious and so kind. When you look at the way Nathan confronted David, now what was the sin that David committed? Well, he stole another man's wife and killed him. He committed murder. And actually, we're told in the scriptures that it was blasphemy because he was God's representative to the people of Israel. And... So God brings Nathan to the scene, and he says, Nathan tells him this story. The prophetic word is this story about somebody who, who did this grievous sin, and David going, where is this man? We need to bring justice. And Nathan goes, David, you're the man. Do you see how that's God's kindness to present it in that way? That would have caused David to go, oh, my gosh. It's against God alone have I sinned. And we see the Psalms and David's response because of the way God was so kind in bringing that rebuke through a prophetic word. Um, so same is true for us today. We wanna to do it in the same way.
3: Yeah, And, and I would just add that Matthew 18, since scripture, scripture trumps the way we handle things, Matthew 18 would be the scripture where you go to somebody first by yourself, and then you gently bring, bring, bring along someone else. And then if you have to, bring it to the body, and you, you try to win your brother who's in sin.
2: But again, if it's, if it's prophetic and you don't know, because we don't walk into it with utter confidence, we submit it as an act of kindness. Right, uh, Great questions. Any other questions about the ministry that just took place? Did you all have anything else? Okay, okay, let's go for it. Go for it. Yeah, fail forward is what they say, right? Fail um, forward.
3: And my name is Sean, what's your name? In the white sweater. Paula? Um, Paula, I, I felt as though that you were, there was prayers for your family, uh, specifically that he, God hears you, and that any struggle in your family that God wanted you to know that you're bringing honor to your family. Um, I didn't know if you had come to study. I, don't, I, I felt like you had maybe traveled to study, but specifically I felt like the Lord wanted you to know that you're bringing honor to your family. Is that is that relevant at all? Is that... You don't have to share, but,
2: okay. That was meaningful to you? Okay. Did you want to share more or no? Okay. Good. Um, <laughs> See how they're going about this? Well, I might have one. Well, you're always going to feel that you might um, have one.
4: Yeah. Just throw it out. Uh, in the orange tin, what was your name? Matt. Um, I felt like you were making a move, um, I thought, specifically to Texas you were considering something like that.
2: No? Okay. So what do we do when it's a directive word like that? Uh, Do we make a decision up and root our lives to move to Texas? No. Something that didn't confirm a leading, so you just pray about it.